the very roots of eating, of negativity and singularity, including the ultimate form of singularity, which is This is the typical violence of information. It's violent because what happens there is a murder of the real, the vanishing point of reality. Let's not have a misunderstanding here. Welcome to Machine Unconscious Happier with Cooper Cherry, as always, sponsored by the People's Institute for Revolutionary Semiotics. Before I give today's rundown, I did want to mention that I do have a Patreon at patreon.com forward slash M-U-H-H. Consider throwing me a buck a month if you're enjoying the show. And so essentially this is going to be part three of the Ego Book series that I've been doing primarily with John Zichterman. Today we'll actually be having Elliot Rosenstock join us. And the episode ran quite long, so I'm breaking it up into two parts. This is going to be part one of that episode. As a whole, we'll be covering um, pages 169 through 222 in the Wolfie Landstriker edition of The Unique and Its Property. And this will cover sections 2, the I, 2.1, ownness, 2.2, the owner, and we'll wrap up with 2.2.1, my power. But here is a fantastic episode once again with Elliot and John. Elliot, is a Rosenstock by any other name just as sweet? Uh, is a Rosenstock by any other name just as sweet? That's a good question. Lacan might say no. <laughs> because if, if, the, if the signifier determines us, then, um, then who knows? Right. You know? <laughs> Sterner would say, you know, probably. Probably. Just in case people are tuning in for the first time, give us a little rundown. Whomever wants to go first, Elliot, you can go first since you're you're new to the Ego Book series. Give us give us a little background on yourself. Whatever you uh, say. I'm a psychotherapist. I'm an egoist theorist. You could say uh, I always cared about egoism. I researched uh, egoism and altruism uh, in graduate school. I've kept that interest. I've studied Sterner. I've been through the you know the muck of Rand. I've seen it all. <laughs> nice. uh, I'm very interested in the question of self-interest. What constitutes self-interest? And then what is self-interest in, in the sort of context of psychoanalysis and the unconscious? And that is, that is the question. And what does Freud have to teach us about uh, egoism? So I have a very different point of view, you could say, than Max Stirner. I really like Max Stirner. He's a better writer than me, probably. Um, but I think, I think his maybe... His uh, theory is just, it's in the context of Marx. Uh, Marx, you know, means, means of production, workers having means of production, ego in its own. I think it partly it's product of its time. It's the seminal work of egoism, uh, unique in its property, right? With the new translation. So always good to go through. It's timeless, <laughs> timeless book. So yeah, that's my deal. <laughs> Glad to have you back. And I guess... Uh... My deal for those of you who haven't heard any episodes with me on them before is uh, my name's John or JP. I'm the co-host of a couple different shows, uh, Beep Beep Lettuce, which is like a stoner comedy current events show and work stoppage, which specifically reports on labor relations uh, around the world, but especially in the United States. Uh, I just have a, a 
an interest in philosophy broadly. I don't have any formal training in it. Uh, <laughs> the furthest thing from a theorist um, you could really ask for, but I've always been drawn to Stirner because I think that what he tackles in his work covers a lot of ground that gets overlooked when people are trying to piece together their big uh, philosophical projects and, and their, their um, systems of how the world supposedly works. So glad just to have a, a venue to do that in. Hell yeah. Just to orient listeners too. So we're covering in this episode, we're going to be looking at pretty much content from pages 169 through 222. So that's going to be section 2.2, or two, it's I, 2.1, ownness, 2.2, the owner, and 2.21, my power. Okay. We stopped before my intercourse. Oh, okay. Right yeah. on. I'm going to go ahead and read this pretty dank, like Nietzschean quote at the beginning of part two of the book, just because this, this is pretty metal, <laughs> if you'll both indulge me here. At the entrance of the modern era stands the God-man. Will only the God and the God-man evaporate at its exit? And can the God-man really die if only the God in him dies? They didn't think of this question and considered themselves finished when in our day they brought the work of the Enlightenment, the overcoming of God, to a victorious end. They didn't notice that the human being has killed God in order to now become soul God on high. The other world outside us is indeed swept away, and the great enterprise of the men of the Enlightenment is accomplished. But the other world inside us, the unconscious maybe, right, has become a new heaven and calls us forth to storm the heavens once again. God has had to make way, but not for us, rather, for humanity. And how can you believe the God-man has died before the man in him, as well as the God has died? That's setting the table. That's like some Thespake Zarathustra shit, right? (laughs) (laughs) I I like the focus on um, the difference between externality, like the the other world outside us is swept away so that the other world inside us can become this new new heaven. And when I was doing the reading, um, there was another section where he said something like, oh, you know, you can be, you can be internally free in the most oppressive of conditions, but inside is not the same as outside. So, you know, that, that's no comfort to somebody who is, is facing, you know, a, a bad situation that takes place outside of their own, their own mind in the physical world. What does that look like yeah. psychoanalytically, Elliot? I, well, I'm thinking it's really interesting that he says the world inside us is a heaven because Right. It seems like he's talking about two different spooks or phantasms or specters, right? The human, the human being has killed God, but the human being is itself a phantasm. So a phantasm kills another phantasm. The most terrifying and then, one. And then they call what's inside us, you know, nothing but phantasms. And, you know, the world has to be, there's lots of Hegelian dilemmas that Stirner offers up, you could say, which is, which is if the outside us is nothing, then what is, what is ours? What is our property? So if the world outside of is, you know, this is the classic, it's just master slave dialectic. Yeah. Uh, you know, the question comes back, which is if nothing, if all things are nothing to me, then what is my property? Why have anything's property? It's because, you know, but Stern, you know, Sterner takes up the idea. So what is he saying? So uh, the world outside us is swept away. So the, in the great enterprise of men of the enlightenment is accomplished. But so he, he's saying that, it's almost like so partially towards towards the unique, towards the trans- transcendental, you could say, or the tyr- you could say the tyranny of the world. So I guess what he's doing is, you know, Sterner is always against the tyranny of the outside. So it's not necessarily the things he wants to his property, 
to be, but it, but it's it's against the tyranny. So the outside is the enlightenment begins to sweep away this tyranny to some extent. Um, but of course, it brings up all the specters of the enlightenment, which we're now. It feels like we're now just dealing with and seeing seeing what what exactly uh, the results of this universalist enlightenment thinking is. Like people are just getting a handle that it's not quite uh, what it's all cracked up to be because universalism. You know, Kantian universalism is the universalism of that city. So it's a false universalism. Okay, so then the world inside of us, a new heaven, you know, the bodily, the enjoyment, satisfaction. And that's like, that's the big question for Sterner is to satisfy, uh, as the old translation said, the whole chap. <laughs> I don't know what the new translation says. <laughs> satisfaction of the whole chap. <laughs> I, I like yeah, I, the old translation. I guess we should back up and say we are reading the Landstriker translation. Yeah, we are. Yeah, we are reading the Greek and its oh, property. Yeah. We are not reading Dylan's thing. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's so also like, interesting. Um, he really marries the concept of of the man, like as as an alienated idea, like humanity, in that statement about the God Man, right? Because he's like, how can you believe the God Man has died before the man in him, as well as the God has died? So he's like saying, you can't just be free of the God Man by stopping having a religious belief in him. You also have to abandon this secular belief in this kind of unifying humanity that is not actually any given human or, or not really composed of the actual uh, people that it, that you would think uh, it isn't, it isn't reference to. God, man, just saying the spook is not defeated by, by this other spook <laughs> in some, in some way. Gotcha. Yeah. Right. God, man is not killed by the man of the enlightenment. How do we kill God and, and man by, by becoming by like embracing the unique or like the creative nothing or yeah well what is what is yeah by by just not being fettered to them anymore by placing your cause upon nothing instead of desperately needing something to place your cause upon that is itself you know only reflexively propped up or doesn't have any real base beneath it either sure well i mean there's there's us but then to the extent the world is tyrannical then we, we look at the world that's around us and like, what is more obvious that the God man is not defeated than the contemporary world, especially the U S right. Uh, like Trump and uh, yeah. Yeah. the right, uh, the God man is far from being defeated by any sort of universalist uh, enlightenment idealism. You can almost say that's like the, you know, Sterner wrote about that being the conflict. That's like still the conflict, which is enlightenment ideal, like Democrats, enlightenment, universalism, Right. Uh, Republican or the Godman, you know, mm -hmm. and that's, that's just the, it's still the battle. It's still the spook, spook versus spook. Um, <laughs> Instead of spy yeah. versus spy. That's yeah. Spook versus spook. Phantasm <laughs> versus phantasm. Spectre versus spectre. You know, ghost versus ghost. The enlightenment, the enlightenment scientism versus the Godman. And of course, most people who are intellectually, uh, tuned in will always are always drawn towards the enlightenment or identify a little bit more with the enlightenment. You can you can go into the acceleration circle and the reaction circle and you'll meet the godmen intellectuals. They're interesting, but like most people you meet will be like the enlightenment people. So there's another question: is like what is the what are the chains of the enlightenment? I think you know that's like a whole thing that we can we can just think about because you know Sterner talks about that. You know the cause of mind, even the cause of mind. Yeah. You know, but, the cause of uh, rationality, logic, is not his cause. And so what does it mean to be against the Enlightenment and not be a god man? 
Yeah. Yeah, that's that's a very interesting question. I was actually thinking this this just randomly like I don't know if this even situates within like the context of of the like this portion of the text, but I don't know this thought randomly popped in my head earlier today, and I was thinking about Stirner in the in the context of like Sartre's existentialism and that sort of notion of yeah because Sartre is it, like his existentialism is right it's like it's a phenomenological movement like it's still within the phenomenological tradition correct yeah yeah well it's non-dialectical as well really right the Sartrean kind of like what is aphorism is like the con- you're sort of condemned to be free to choose to like self yeah to construct oneself right what is mm-hmm. that like I'm, I'm just interested in this comparison between what Sartre is moving towards in like his context of existentialism existential freedom versus what Stirner is doing because I think maybe there's some well, kind con- of relationship. Condemned or- to be free just like really quickly is is like immediately different than Stirner in that the world is what the world is and you're condemned to your condition but nonetheless you're free which is Stirner would say the world is, you know that's a speak perspective you know. Yeah. Well, because Stirner isn't really after freedom, right? He doesn't want to be free of things. He doesn't want to be rid of things. He wants to take them into his ownership and make them his own, right? So um, I think maybe like Sartre is just is, is aiming at what Stirner would see as like um, maybe a, a naive form of freedom in his philosophical program. Yeah. Because Sartre is still fairly like humanist, and I don't know if you can paint Stirner. With, Stirner's probably not a humanist because he's a, the human would be the spook, right? Would be a yeah, a fantasy. Exactly. Yeah, he does write it. He does write against the human idea. Certainly, it'd be weird to call him a humanist of any right. kind. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I just had that thought randomly. I thought there. I don't know. There was like a certain situation of you, of like you having sort of this tabla rasa blank slate to kind of construct your own subjectivity. Yeah. Is Which kind is of like, like the start move. Yeah. But that's, you know, but that's sort of ignoring, that's, that's not very materialist. Well, it's yeah, but it's like how, like even ignoring material conditions, like how much of a blank slate are you really, what would it mean to be a blank right. slate? No, I mean, and nothing. But, yeah. Cause like, even in order to just like have coherent like thoughts and be able to express yourself in society and stuff you're you already have like a foundation of like social programming and and like social encoding from which you're operating so like yeah above a certain level like you can you can absolutely be like influenced or think about yourself as like malleable but yeah i don't but, know about being yeah a, the unique slate, except maybe in like the first instant of birth the yeah, unique, unique versus exactly. the unique right that's his that's the very end of this you know we're going through these the reading but the very end of the reading is the idea of the unique versus the unique the the blank slate who takes versus the blank slate who takes like it's a very it's almost like sci-fi it's like this sci-fi scenario uh that you have these two overmen uh, who are who are unique and blank unique blank slate Buddhist monks who do but they they're but they're not Buddhist monks because they care about property and you know why Hegel you know one of the things that you know how much is Stirner spooked by material um, because you take something then you know that's material like in defense of all of philosophy of Kant of Hegel against you could say against Stirner 
a little bit, which is the idea that you're going to get the material thing and it will have this essential property and it'll be yours. Um, it is a materialist. It isn't, you know, it's very Marxist in a certain sense, but then you're spooked by the moment. You're spooked by time. I think like eventually, eventually you're going to, you're going to find that this is no longer something that you need and it's going to, it's going to not be sufficient. So then you're caught in like the super ego imperative to take, you know, and then you're the pressure, you know, the psych, the psychic pressure to, to make your own. To enjoy anyway, the super, to enjoy ego the super ego imperative, the Zizekian. Yeah, exactly. The Zizekian super ego imperative to, uh, to be satisfied, to be fully satisfied, to be bodily. Uh, but that's not to say that that Stern is totally, I don't think he's totally incorrect in that there is a moment and then he does say, and then the next moment he can cast it aside. So I think that's kind of the essential self-interest that I agree with. That is self-interest. Like yeah. you take up the material and cast it aside. So to be able to do that is, um, and, and understand yourself as doing that, that's key to self-interest. So yeah, definitely. I think Sterner's good with that, but, but don't be mistaken and just think to make your own, like the capitalist accumulation is immediately self-interest, right? Yeah. Um, Cause it's not, yeah. A bit different. Anyway, what's the next one? <laughs> <laughs> well, actually, I, I've been curious. Oh, yeah, yeah, you guys. I just have a random question or, like, something to bring up in the in the context of, like, of the machinic unconscious. And I know, Elliot, you think that machinic processes do occur, but I'm wondering, like, yeah. I don't know, it was weird. I was I was seeing, like, a lot of overlap in, in some regards between, like, Guattari and, uh, and Sterner, particularly, like, in – in Quattari's approach to Laborde, so the experimental clinic where he's, you know, it's like a, yeah, experimental clinic and the idea of the grid where like, instead of everybody being trapped in these fixed idea roles, everyone, like there's a flux, there's a rotation, like everybody's getting a different subjective experience. The doctors are yeah. cooking and, and all that kind of shit, right? Sure. So I think that's very kind of like copacetic with Sterner, but. Yeah, well, I, he's trying to, he's trying to eliminate the fixed agency, right? Right. So that's that. I think that's the goal. There's like a neurosis to fixed things because we are we will die, <laughs> kind of. Like the short of it is eventually we will dearticulate. Um, so you know, the more you think you're a doctor, you're just a doctor. You, you're the more the more beaten down by by your that dearticulation by that phantasms uh, dissipating. Uh, so I think you know there is like why that's in Guattari's qu clinic, I think it makes sense uh, to sort of get, get used to the fact that uh, to this process, you know, of change, of changing agency and the fact that you are not your agency, you're sort of, you know, he's linking the material with kind of just the logic of being there. Yeah. It's cool. <laughs> <laughs> I guess where I saw the conflict, I couldn't quite square entirely was the, how a machinic unconscious would work like how do you how do you synthesize that with sterner because i feel like that i don't know is there so sterner is all i think it's 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 more like the psychoanalyst can't help but to think something of the world maybe uh where sterner is trying to cast it aside so i think the difference is going to be uh he's like he's not trying to say chefness is like he's like really trying to you know you use use the clinic and use the machinic processes as something as a mode of liberation or as I, I don't think Sterner ever gets to that point. 
uh, necessarily where he's into, I mean, that's kind of very contemporary theory, the machinic uh, right. uh, process. I mean, it's Marx as well, but yeah. um, I don't think Stirner quite reaches the level of Marx regarding technology. Certainly. Yeah. Uh, and the idea of uh, quantity, you know, that, like for Stirner, there's no way to, to discuss, I think, the, the qualitative shift that happens when a quantity of egoists works on a certain project and then which creates a machinic qualitative shift from like from a, you know, a, a worker to a factory and then the factory has a means of That's not Stirner's sort of mode of existence. Stirner is like almost like a very proletarian conscious where Marx is like the director a little bit. Marx is like, and that's how it was in, you know, Marx was Stirner's editor uh, at one point. Uh, so that is very much, it makes sense that Stirner is like a proletarian consciousness uh, more so. He's not necessarily trying to create machines, but trying to create uh, uh, relations between uh, people, right? Well, uh, yeah, because Stirner would resist the idea of trying to uh, break history down into like a long series of like deterministic forces, right? Because then as soon as you start like looking at those forces as something above yourself that you're subject to your identity in your kind of relationship to them crystallizes and then you're preventing yourself from having opportunities to make more things your own you're kind of like uh cutting off your your potential by um by buying into like grand kind of universalist narratives about the way that the world works interesting let, let's travel down that path, I think, because that was like the next idea I had was just this idea of taking, is it, is Stirner's notion like ta taking ownership of the I that experiences, that's experiencing the world from a phenomenal, uh, I can't even say the fucking word, phenomenological perspective, like through Hegel. Well, I mean, like Stirner doesn't, doesn't want you to be lying to yourself about your motivation right like he really wants to get at the bottom of uh of self-interest and so i think like the only way to act as a as an intentional egoist and not as as a duped or an unwitting egoist is to assert full self-ownership right like how are you going to assert ownership over your property if you can't even take yourself in as your own property first right it's like a it's a prerequisite what does it mean to take what does that process mean exactly like taking oneself as one's own property i don't know i feel like uh, it's, it's like, it's, like the, a, it's, a, it's an abstract like i don't know well you take yourself as an object right and then then you manipulate that object from a sort of nothing perspective maybe kind of right but you know, well, dupe is an it, interesting right. word because what what does that make make you think of? Cooper, Cooper Dupe? Cherry, <laughs> duped. Does that that bring up fooled. anything? Yeah, you've been fooled, no, you've but been it brings up for me. Uh, brings up Lacan, Lacan, the dupe, the non, the nom du pair, the non dupe air, right? Uh, what is it that you lose when you refuse to be duped? You lose whatever symbolic structure. Um, is present so the you know the non-dupe errors or non-dupe errant i i you know I, i'm not french i don't speak french but the non-dupe errant errant 
the non the non dupe wanders. Iran is heirs and wanders. So if you if you refuse to be duped, you can't um, be within the symbolic. But the problem with the symbolic and why Sterner has, has like a symptomatic allergy to the symbolic is that um, when the logics are inconsistent, you could say Kantianly uh, immoral because they don't know themselves. They're not Kantian because Kant, Kant also like represses self-interest. He says morality can never be done from a place of self-interest. That's so like, okay. Um, <laughs> but there's, they're logically inconsistent. So, so when, when Sterner, a bright young lad, a ch- bright young chap, chap. <laughs> the whole chap um yeah he he's presented with a logic that's inconsistent he he doesn't it doesn't sit well with him and he doesn't want to um you know and especially when that bad logic is then you know given a false cause and then used to um beat him in some way so that's a bad combination of things for an egoist you could say bad logic used to beat you down um so stupidity beating you down is just a very, I think the Sterner, the Sterner's combo that he is not, he's not about that, <laughs> you know, to a certain degree, the, the dupe, he doesn't want the name of the father uh, inflicting him, you know, restrictions into the symbolic, right? Uh, you know, to what sense, to what sense do we, you know, it's hard to say where that line is. To what sense are we beaten down by the name of the Father? To what sense does it, is it the pathway to our liberation? To what sense is it, um, you know, simply tyranny uh, is not always clear. I think, you know, that's, you got to check in with yourself, man. Got to check yeah. in with yourself. See how well, you're feeling the, about uh, it. That's Be the mindful. thing about taking ownership <laughs> of yourself, right? Is it's like, if you don't take ownership of yourself as as the you that is experiencing the world, then you're going to be thinking of yourself as like a, uh, like a compilation of your, your traits and attributes. Like, Oh, I am a Catholic. I am a, you know, or I am a man, I am a father, or I live in Pennsylvania. I'm a Pennsylvanian. And it's like, none of those things are really you. But if you take yourself as an, as like you said, Elliot, like take yourself as an object uh, and then that places your subjectivity in kind of yeah. the realm of nothingness, then that opens As up an eye. every opportunity. Yeah, exactly. It, yeah. It's kind of, but that's an interesting, like that's an interesting idea that I am. I'm not Elliot. I'm not, you could say Jewish, but rather what I really am is I. Right. Well, and it's like, it's interesting that I is just a, a, a one letter word, right? Because it's like, it's so reflexive. It's like trying to gesture as simply as possible uh, inward without, without saying anything else, you know, like even saying that I am I doesn't exhaust everything that I am, but it gets a lot closer than any other way that I could describe myself. Gotcha. Oh, that's good. That even flows like perfectly into this next tab. So I want to read this because this is, this will be spicy for Elliot. So I'm drawing, (laughs) I'm drawing from uh, page 160 of Nietzsche and philosophy from our friend Gilles Deleuze. I'm going to read this passage. Sterner penetrates yet again to the truth of the dialectic in the very title of his great book, The Ego and His Own. He thinks the Hegelian freedom remains an abstract concept. I have nothing against freedom, but I wish you more than just freedom. You should be disencumbered of what you do not want. 
should also possess what you do want. You should not be only a free man. You should also be a proprietor. But who is appropriated or reappropriated? What is the reappropriating instant? Is not Hegel's objective spirit, his absolute knowledge, yet another alienation, a spiritual and refined form of alienation? And cannot the same be said of Bauer's self-consciousness or pure or absolute human critique and Feuerbach's species being? Man is species, Feuerbach's species being, man is species, essence, and sensuous being. I am nothing of all that. Sterner has no difficulty in showing that idea, consciousness, or species are no less alienations than traditional theology. Relative reappropriations are still absolute alienations. Competing with theology, anthropology makes me the property of man, but the dialectic cannot be halted until I finally become a proprietor, even if it means ending up in nothingness. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> yeah. Competing with theology anthropology makes me the property of man is, is a really interesting way for him to drive home his whole um, thesis of, of not putting uh, man or, or some abstract idea of humanity in the place of God. Um, that didn't strike me that hard when I, when I was reading it for the reading, but uh, it's really good. Yeah, In the place of I, right. In the place of the eye, the eye, the mm -hmm. eye of the storm, the eye of the needle, the center what is the center to to look at the super sensible aka the extended realm of spirit i'm like dropping hegelianisms but all that means is what's not immediately apparent like jewishness i'm jewish the extension of jewishness is the super sensible like you see me but there's also a super sensible jewishness you could say um as an ideal in the world but to replace your eye the eye with any of these sorts of external things is just, it's just not right. Also, I like what he said about family too, because for me that, that seems a lot more uh, convincing than any universal principle because family at least involves people, at least involves other people, you know, that you're discussing. So the idea that you are a member of your family unit or you are, you have a, you have an obligation to your family. I definitely, you know, feel that. And in terms of, you know, you also feel, you can, you know, feel some worth from your family or feel some affection. Uh, it's been known to happen. Um, <laughs> that, that you, that the family becomes sort of the I and then the I, and then reality builds around the family unit and then you get uh, traditional ideology and then you get uh, marriage and family Oedipus, and blah, right. blah, blah. But you're never, that you're never, sure, Oedipus can get tangled up in there, but you're never, but I, to know yourself as I, to why, why would the family, which involves people, be more alienating than literally alienating yourself as I? And that's because the family, the object of the family will, will eventually fail you because you are not your family. You are, you are I. So um, you are not me, but no, really. Um, yeah. So that's, that's the thing. Uh, it, it's not that it's, it's, it's the, it's just correct. And people, that's, I love that I'm, I'm in this podcast because that's the only time where I could say that and be like taken seriously because you, you go to people and say, it's like, well, that's just correct. That's just accurate. Um, it's not alienated because you're not alienated from the truth of your existence, which is I, uh, the, uh, whatever that consists of people will figure well, that out. Like the thing about alienation, people, people think that, um, being alienated means like that your your true self is being pushed further and further from like something that gives it meaning but the thing that gives your identity meaning is 
your own self is the identity itself. So it's like the the idea that anything could be more alienating than something that draws you out of yourself and starts making you think about yourself as something that is in fact patently not yourself is kind of silly like um yeah that's that's an interesting way to to think about and i think it's kind of an inversion about the way it's an inversion of the way people normally think about alienation especially like the way i've heard it um from my more marxist friends yeah so insofar as people do do that i wonder why they do that you know so i'm sure they have a reason to do that why why do i think of myself as a family member sometimes or as an american sometimes or as a Jew sometimes, or as a white person sometimes, um, why, why do that? And it allows you maybe to get, to explore different areas of existence and to know sort of what's happening to you, um, to sort of figure out, right. what, to get it back of things. I think, you know, it's, I, don't know how, I don't know how it is in the unique in its property, but in but in uh, ego and his own, it's to get it at back of things. You know, the child tries to get it back of things, tries to figure things out. So when you do inhabit these sorts of um, alien things, you're able to see how the world uses you, how you've been pulled, yep. how you've been duped, right? Um, but maybe, maybe there's something that's what Stern is saying that ultimately the eyes is where you need to go back. That's your home base to a certain extent. Although lots of people would disagree. Most people would disagree. Um, but that's why this is ego book, ego book hour, ego that's book right. discussion. Union of ego is I would be hard pressed to find something like, like what is an experience that you could have that would not be ultimately mediated by yourself, by the eye, right? Like it's present yeah. in everything. And yet the political programs all the way from Stirner's day up into our own, are predominantly based on some form of self-abnegation in, instead of self-affirmation or like that they, they, they say that like the, the self-abnegation is the self-affirmation. And I think Stirner is trying to say like, no, abnegation is not self-affirmation. Self-affirmation is self-affirmation. How could it be anything else? Part about this passage that really I'm, I'm most interested in is, is really this last like two sentences where he says, but the dialectic cannot be halted until I finally become a propriety, proprietor, rather, even if it means ending up in nothingness. Yeah. To own, to be a, he's very pro-landlord here, <laughs> I feel like. <laughs> right. Um, it's like the, the important thing is not to be somebody, but to have something. But to have one's, right. well, to have oneself. Says, um, Right. Have oneself. You could say to have oneself. To own oneself. It's not. It's not to be. Well, it's not to be yourself, but to own yourself. Right. Yeah, and when you do that, like it sort of takes you outside of the symbolic, right? Like there's no more social norm. Like that's what's nice about about abnegating yourself and and thinking about yourself as an American or you know a citizen of this city or whatever, is because it gives you a, a comfortable and a, a familiar kind of like social order to, to navigate around inside of. And when you take ultimate ownership of yourself, when, when you treat yourself as an object and you take yourself you know, into yourself as your own property, then what is left? 
You know, there's, you're, you're standing upon nothing. You're standing, there's no authority, you know, there's no authority of the nation or of the church or, or of, uh, uh, an educated figure or anything behind you. There's only your own authority. Um, just kind of like standing atop nothing, standing baselessly to own, like the to own your own authority ultimately yeah. stands baselessly. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Elliot, I'm interested to get your take in this, this in the context of like though Hegel and I think specifically like the, the dialectic here, the, what is he? Yeah, I almost, the think, I almost Deleuze. ignore what Deleuze is saying about <laughs> dialectics. Um, I, it, cause it's, cause then you have to like get into his whole discussion about, uh, you know, the material and the real versus the ideal. And yeah. not, you know, I'm not a Deleuzean um, right. because, you know, you can, you can build a machine and you can be affected by a machine. You could have a machine, you could say, uh, you know, a machinic unconscious to the world. There is a machinic unconscious to the world, but ultimately um, the I or the subjectivity relates to that machinic unconscious to a certain degree. And then subjectivity, you know, it mediates subjectivities. Um, the ideal uh, within the material, you know, that's the Zizek idea. That's ultimately what, what is to be learned from Zizek in a sentence, um, the ideal in the material, uh, which is ideology. The, eating from the, the world, trash can. Eating from the trash can. Every day I'm eating from the trash can. Uh, the machine, you know, the ideal world is all around us. You know, you're an apartment and it means you, you're compartmentalized. That's, your, that's the ideal. The individual ideal is at work um, to a certain degree. Organization is at work. Uh, your leisure time in your city is at work in the material. The, so, you know, uh, ultimately the dialectic is the involves the super sensible realm, which is what is outside of your immediate sense perception. What is the essential nature of things? And that that is worth knowing. Um, I, I'm not, you know, Sartre, existence before uh, existence essence, essence. no um, like the idea like things will exist you know you say you have a you make these water bottles here it's like oh yeah I make a you know the world makes this water bottle existence precedes essence okay so the water bottle he gives the cup of coffee example at the beginning of being a nothingness but the water bottle here um, to not know it as this thing which is essentially produced as a commodity or essentially kind of looks like uh, the sparklets water. That's why I like this particular one. It looks like, (laughs) it looks like a mini version of the gigantic blue things that you get. It's just like, wow. Could that, no, that's commodity fetishism. Right. Yeah, exactly. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) um, But yeah, that's fuck that. Like it's bullshit. Um, (laughs) It does. It's just meaningless bullshit. I mean, such a great writer. Like all these people are better than better writers than me. Um, like if you read Sartre, he's like a, a excellent literary figure, excellent writer, and he says a lot of good things. But, but <laughs> uh, existence does not precede essence. It's kind of meaningless because that you know precedes art automatically puts you in a time which is chronological time. But to understand this water bottle, you have to sort of understand time as a sort of transcendental thing, which is which is a fact. You know, time. It takes time to make a factory. People make certain things. Uh, civilizations made certain things. Anyway, you get this thing, this commodity, which has a which has an existence in the future, has an existence in the past. But the idea that you're going to gain something by like looking at its um, immediate properties—that's a mode of being. Like that's you know here nausea. There's a reason why that makes you nauseous, right? Nausea. Um, 
It's not, you know, I have a serious, I don't want to say, be vulgar and say it's, he's nauseous because of his eye. It's possible. That's like a very Trump thing to say. <laughs> like maybe he's nauseous because his eye is fucked up. Like, no, really. Um, <laughs> you know, it makes you nauseous. Um, possible. But yeah, but there, it's a certain mode of being that, um, that, that the, staring at things like that gets you in. And you're missing a lot of reality, just like you, you miss reality when you are unable to see yourself outside of the eye and into the symbolic order. But, you know, Sterner, I think, is closer to the truth of the thing. You know, the nothing, the eye, you are the eye. And then what, what comes from that? And then what is, what is sort of this world that you're interacting with? Uh, yeah. Very dank. Nice. <laughs> John, did you have anything to add? Uh, no, no, yeah, I, I'm just right thinking about what Elliot said. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm going to go ahead and read another passage or a little excerpt from Nietzschean philosophy, page 161. But this conservation, the final alienation, disappears in sterner state and religion, but also human essence are denied in the ego, which is not reconciled with anything because it annihilates everything for its own power, for its own dealings, for its own enjoyment. Overcoming alienation thus means pure, cold annihilation of recovery, which lets nothing which it recovers subsist. It is not that the ego is all, but the ego destroys all. And that's a direct quote from page 182. This is interesting. This is almost, I don't know, this is where I see Hegel and, and Lacan and the way that this quote kind of, or like this this move of, like you, you kind of think, I think in the common sense, so-called realm, Overcoming alienation through annihilation. That's a very counterintuitive move, right? No, oh, it's great right. because well, yeah, it's like the things that alienate you, yeah, go on. He's saying like there's there's no there's no taking ownership of something without a like it is the destruction of a thing to take ownership. To own it. Right? Like it it takes it out of the world of its relationality to other things and it strips it down to just what its relationship is to you as an as an i yeah dialectical i like it (laughs) after we had our episode elliot now i can't help but see lacan and sterner or vice versa well you have to see lacan and sterner because it's like you can look at it like an academic like lacan says this nietzsche says this Deleuze says this but like ultimately you know, we're, I don't think any of us are looking at things in that sense. Like we're trying to, there's, you know, we have some sort of symptom. Um, you know, you could say the fanboys, not fanboys, <laughs> but we're, we, we actually do. care about I, philosophy. Yes. Because philosophy does something. Um, and then, so when you, when you are trying to figure out the question of uh, the I or subjectivity or, or being in existence, um, uh, they will blend together and they will negate each other. They will fight each other, these viewpoints. And you won't get just, you won't just get an academic look at Sterner's thoughts are these, which you get people that, you know, professors, you have to. Sterner's thoughts are these, Sterner's thoughts are these, blah, blah, blah. But you get exactly what is the correct view of the eye? What is the correct view of uh, the machinic technology? What is the, what is the, what is the sort of correct view about um, the relation between uh, ex- my existence in this moment of time, and mach- you could say, and large machine technology uh, material and ideals, right? Um, and that's that's the point of philosophy for us, I think. 
that's why we're you know we, we're having a good time we're ch- we're chilling we're not like freaking out about you know whatever it is assistant professors are freaking out about right now <laughs> we are U- union of egoist gang yeah yeah i'm gonna read another passage from uh from Nietzsche philosophy page 162 to get to this move of like this is what i think is interesting is people as much as he tries to fight hegel he definitely is sterner is definitely incorporating dialectics into his arguments even if he's not like necessarily coming out and saying it deleuze writes sterner is too much of a dialectician to think in any other terms but those of property alienation and reappropriation but too exacting not to see where this thought leads to the ego, which is nothing, to nihilism. This is one of the most important senses of Marx's problem in the German ideology. For Marx, it's a matter of stopping this fatal sliding. He accepts Stirner's discovery that the dialectic is the theory of the ego. That's an interesting point, right? On one point, he supports Stirner. Feuerbach's human species is still an alienation. But Stirner's ego is, in turn, an abstraction, a projection of bourgeois egoism. Marx elaborates this famous doctrine of the conditioned ego, the species and individual species being in the particular social order and egoism are reconciled in the ego conditioned by social and historical relations. But is this sufficient? What is the species and which one is the individual? And I think which one is the, that's Stirner's preoccupation, correct? Has the dialectic found its point of equilibrium and rest or merely a final avatar the socialist avatar before the nihilist conclusion. It is difficult, in fact, to stop the dialectic and history on the common slope down which they drag each other. Does Marx do anything else but mark the last stage before the end, the proletarian stage? That's kind of interesting, right? Because it makes you wonder, like, is there a is there a universal category that's more broadened and more secular like on its way to Stirner's egoism than the than the like I guess idol of socialism the idol of like equality and equality of material conditions for the whole world I think that's an interesting point because it's like if you try and go any more radical than that you kind of end up in Stirner's like zone of thought where like you you no longer have anything to to base uh, your your actions on and you're just operating as kind of like this this shifting uh, you know creative nothing on on the margins and it's interesting to hear uh, Deleuze interpret Marx's critique of Stirner as being uh, too too bourgeois um, not not that I have anything particularly insightful to say about I love that as a refutation of Stirner. I mean, what's, it's like, well, what's his problem? Well, it's bourgeois abstraction, bourgeois abstraction. I guess what Marx means by that is like the, that his, the things that Stirner wants that is satiating is bourgeois, maybe. Or that the idea that you're looking at yourself as an individual is bourgeois. Um, right, well, because are... Marx's whole thing is like, <laughs> everything is driven by these it's the overarching... Yeah, yeah, he thinks everything is driven by like historical process. He's a bit of like a a he's deterministic kind of. And I don't think that there's room for that same kind of determinism in Stirner's uh analysis of of being essentially. I think the line that caught my attention the most was this idea that Marx accepts Stirner's discovery that the dialectic is the theory of the ego. 
but only as a refutation of Marx, like and and Hegel, really. That's what I don't like about it. It's kind of like about Deleuze, just in general. Yeah, Deleuze <laughs> is like, oh yeah, Stern is correct that uh, the ego is ultimately where the dialectic leads, and it's something of the ego, and it leads to nothing. And then, he, then because because he accepts Sterner, then he gets to posit, you know, this theory of the real. But yeah, but this theory of the ego is the the problem is I think with Deleuze here is that um, you know, uh, synthetic reality is a priori synthetic. It's Kantian, um, so you do get you do get this uh, unitary subjectivity, which I don't think Deleuze really knows quite what to do with. Right. I wonder what Land would say about That's that being the being the Deleuzian Kantian. Right. Yeah. <laughs> I wonder what Land would say about. Yeah, we could we could all tweet. We could all tweet. We could all at him and be in this ins- until he answers us. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. W- w- what about fucking ego is wait e slash ac is egoist accelerationism? <laughs> ego excel. You're owning yourself. <laughs> Ego Excel, I think. Um, Burning oneself you, at a high rate of, <laughs> I don't know. In our, well, it's like, I feel like ego, it's like a, the right to be the experiment. I think accelerationism is already experimental, but it's like the emphasis on the individualist experimentalization aspect of uh, accelerationism, I think, would be like an ego Excel, not the. Yeah, but the whole idea of positing another acceleration ignores the fact that people, nobody gives a fuck. Yeah. <laughs> right. Like, really. Like, I'm just doing bits, it. okay? God damn it. Yeah, yeah. is fun to talk about on Twitter and stuff, but, like, I don't know. Even the people I know who call themselves accelerationists, like, I get to talking to them. Well, Elliot calls himself. They're, they're accelerator- really just, like, your run-of-the-mill Marxists. Yeah, I, I, put it on the, yeah, I put it on my author bio. Yeah. He's an, accel- he's an <laughs> yeah, accelerationist I should, thinker. I should, I should delete. Yeah, I should delete that. Yeah, I mean, my my Twitter bio says I'm a celebrated economist, so you know. (laughs) Oh, there you go. It was very popular. It's like you know, Hegel said, if you're not a Spinozist, you're nothing. Now it's like you're not an accelerationist. (laughs) It's transcendental time theory, first of all, Um, and second of all, you know, you have some sort of idea of cybernetic feedback i think that's sort of what accelerationism is generally and then of course you get all the fucking crazy shit you know you get all the reactionary stuff um yeah mm-hmm. the, the the wide world of but I, you know what's interesting is everybody who i know through acceleration sphere um i'm not i'm not in england like everyone in la that i know would they wouldn't call themselves an accelerationist you know they right. call themselves something i think acceleration is like it's almost like they embody cultural acceleration and then you know the two people i know well is like one one's like a filmmaker one's like a poet poem appreciator language learning a poem appreciator so it's like the acceleration is the subjectivity but ultimately the subjectivity or the definition of the self is going to be different than than uh, it's not going to be accelerationism itself Right. Yeah. One of the comments. Yeah, one of the comments like when this, I when I which, when I yeah sorry when I start when I started talking about like accelerationism first like one of the first things the critiques was like you you need to fix your theory of time and I at first I thought it was stupid 
<laughs> we're stupid <laughs> um but i think there is a you know the fact of the matter is freud's idea of time and accelerationism are equivalent it's like the idea that things don't have a chronological order in the psyche is equivalent to what acceleration which time is transcendental in that sense right time is lifted from itself it's categorical in in nature right there's an actuality and there's also a transcendental time. Uh, we are actually in the moment, but then there's this other, there's this time. Time is thus directed into through its actuality and its transcendental qualities. <laughs> I love that word. That's a good, also, if you want to be a Hegelian, really all you need to know is the definition of directed, which <laughs> is to split, to split into. No. <laughs> yeah. I just had to look up how to spell it. Yeah. Oh, okay. So oh, I've been using uh, that'll be in the show notes. I've been using link to dictionary bifurcated, but I'm gonna switch over. Bifurcated. I'm, well, I'm bifurcated is different. Now. Yeah, bifurcated is like a negative uh, connotation, right? It's like don't bifurcate nature, right? Nature. Don't say human right. and nature are separate because it's bifurcation is an idealist falsehood. But directed is the actual objective property of time is directed into its actual, you know, your existence in time and also its transcendental nature um, as categorical knowledge, you could say, and as having an effect on the human. Damn. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Bifurcate, bifurc yeah, so bifurcation and, and directed, I think, are, are different, different sort of, uh, they're, they're saying different things, even though they both mean to split into, you know, to bifurcate something is to, is to miss the objective quality of singularity, but to direct something is to gain the objective quality of two-ness, you could say. <laughs> but, you know, nature is bifurcated a little bit, like the idea of like human, in what sense are we not nature? It's like, you know, that's a whole other discussion. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. We don't need to get into it. <laughs> I used to be really big into Murray Bookchin, and he had this whole, like, uh, system called dialectical naturalism that he had uh, developed because he thought dialectical materialism bifurcated the natural order uh in a way that was inappropriate but mm. that's that's about all of it that I, <laughs> that I remember yeah if i remember right dialectical naturalism was just a huge mess yeah. <laughs> not very coherent. well now i know what to google next <laughs> that's like super late i think that's like su super late book chin when he was probably he was getting yeah, into his, his biden years <laughs> <laughs> I wish it wasn't true, but you're making a very compelling case. He uh, <laughs> got a little bit liberal at the end, I think. Perhaps. Yeah. This next quote from again Nietzschean philosophy. I'm I'm interested really like the meat here on page 163 of of the book is I'm I'm curious. He says that Deleuze says that Sterner lacks a method a typological method which would correspond to the question. Maybe I should back up and, and read that because he's asking, he makes use of the question, which one, but only in order to dissolve the dialectic and the nothingness of the ego, he's incapable of posing this question anything but the human perspective under any conditions but those of nihilism. He cannot let this question develop for itself or pose it in another element which would give an affirmative response. He lacks the method, the typological typological method which would correspond to the question the question being which one which i 
I'm interested in this question, like in terms of methodology, what it's Deleuze still is Deleuze, saying. right? Yeah, right, 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 yeah. The difference of the negative, the difference of the I, like the I, which is this or that, you know, but you could say the I is, I think Sterner is like the I of the pure signifying I, the, the pure singularity, which, so, so I think Deleuze wants to know what, 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 aspect of the eye is one talking about but that's you know that's a that's an important like critique um you know if you're saying i think this it's like i is who thinks this right um well it's like kind of how people will um people will say things like they they'll be like hey look uh speaking as your friend you know i really don't think you should do that or speaking as your boss or like speaking yeah. as and it's always like this kind as an acceleration compartmentalization speaking as, yeah, speaking as a major accelerationist thinker <laughs> yeah speaking as the owner of the most prominent nick land twitter parody account uh, i really think that you should yeah. delete your post but uh no but it's it's interesting because it's almost like saying like hey i'm not going to give you my real opinion on what you should do i'm going to give you my mediated opinion on how to interact with the social order as a as a member of that social order in x capacity as a trapeze artist yeah really it it makes me wonder like (laughs) is there a is there a method that could be used within kind of the realm of what sterner is saying to more accurately like without becoming subservient to them delineate all of the like influencing uh, identities or uh, aspects of identity that crowd around you whenever you try and, and make a determination. And I don't, I don't know if I have an answer for that because I hadn't really thought about it before, but it, it is an interesting critique. Well, yeah, so Deleuze's theory of difference, which I'm getting secondhand, um, is like the whole idea is Hegel's difference or the negative. The problem with the negative is, is it's singular. So I think Deleuze, as a theorist of multiplicity, sticking with that theme, right? Uh, everything, ever, you know, mm-hmm. to think of oneself as singular. Like, in the very beginning, everyone knows. It's like, you know, because the one is several, we were already quite a crowd. But, all, <laughs> but ultimately, like, to what extent, it, you know, that's the ego. It's yeah. still that you're still dealing with the synthetic ego, and you're just going to... Right. You're just ignoring the... the, the you're not really grasping the con- the idea or you're not really dealing with the idea of what does it mean to be a singular uh, meat machine, right? <laughs> the idea is you're never a singular meat machine with Deleuze, but I beg to differ. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I think that's all you have to say is like, I thought you might. Know, like, yeah. I mean, you can ideally conceive of yourself, uh, but what is doing the conceiving you could say? What is interesting. Right. So <laughs> even even in just thinking about yourself, you've already generated two selves, like the the subject and the object self. Yeah, precisely. The, the subject being an object. Yeah. Yeah. You're like the bard subject. The, the idea of overcoming some basic transcendental idealist ideas are just like um I don't know. <laughs> this actually might be an interesting point to like discuss your your sort of theory of uh-huh. psychoanalytic e- uh, egoism so mm-hmm. you have your you have is it three is it three pillars or is it four i can't remember 
uh, of what of psychoanalytic egoism well yeah. it has the groundwork so i like i do you know like i say you know I'm, i might not be a good writer <laughs> but no i'm a great you should buy my book no but i mean um the idea is that that uh the Freud, you know, the the first part is things appear in surplus. Things appear as, you know, like I say, essence is precedes existence. So it's not precede, but essence is important. Let's <laughs> just say essence is important. So when you when something appears, it appears with all these essential logics within them, um, and those logics are kind of unconscious and they contain a surplus. And that I sort of call the I call that the Freudian molecule. Things appear, we appear currently in a Freudian molecule. Then I sort of formally define the unconscious as um, negative things which are before we speak we're in the space of will so right now because you're not speaking will is being generated in you I'm positing I'm creating a positive you you two are in a negative state right now because you're not uh, articulating something and as soon as I stop articulating you'll be and you start saying something you'll be making you'll be articulating things in the world uh, so the idea is the negativity of the will, the positivity of the demand, the speech. Um, and then the idea is this gap. There's a gap between our will, which has its own logic. There's a gap between the world, which has its own logic and our demands. And that's, that's for the, I'm trying to like, it's almost like a formal definition of ideology. Um, and so that's why chapter four is very nicely titled ideology in wonderland. Right. Very nice. So it's like, because <laughs> like, it's like the dialectical dream theory. It's things appear in this sort of, like in your, you know, in this Freudian surplus, and um, that's yeah. You say nice, right? That's demand, um, and there's a reason, you know. So you can you can look at you can look at how things are appearing, how things are going between people, and that is, you know, the real movement between posit, between creation, and will building. And the creation annihilating creation, the posit de-articulating another posit, um, as well as this sort of gap, this real movement is self-interest. That's the essence of the theory. Uh, but buy my book anyway. <laughs> <laughs> this has a great cover. It'll hey, look do, great on your shelf. It does. Yes, it actually, it really yeah. does. <laughs> the cover is dank as fuck. Do you, do you have a release date yet? Or no, he's still. No, uh, still it's, they're really gonna fuck me. I think it's gonna be like 10, 10 months from now. Damn. Uh, but I think that's standard. I yeah. was also late. Yeah. I was late on sending it into them, but whatever. Fuck it. Yeah. Uh, I don't know if that's gonna be the case. It might not be the case. But that's the case. The last time, last last time that I checked, that was the case. Nice. <laughs> we can move back into actually the the actual text that we're supposed to be talking about now, <laughs> which. Uh, Let's see, this is page 170, and I think it'd be maybe good to look at defining freedom in the, in the context of ownness. So I shall read our friend. If you reflect on it correctly, you don't want the freedom to have all these fine things, for with this freedom, you do not have them. You actually want to have these things, to call them yours, and to possess them as your property. What use is a freedom to you if it contributes nothing? And if you become free from everything you would no longer have anything because freedom is lacking in content. Now, if that is not Jacques Lacan, especially that last yeah. little, that last little trap he sets for us because yeah. freedom is lacking in content, right? <laughs> like this is one of those moments where, where our boy Jack 
just pops up. La- Lacan yeah. moment. The spook, the spook of Lacan, <laughs> the specter of Lacan haunts me. Well, yeah, what he's saying is interesting because it's like, <clears throat> I don't want the the freedom to have food, right? I want food, and I don't right. want the the freedom yeah. to sleep. Ac- under it's like access food. to healthcare, right? Exactly. That's what it makes me think of when I read this section. It's like I don't need access to healthcare. I need healthcare. You know, <laughs> like I don't need yeah. um, I don't need this uh, proclamation of of something being within the realm of of possibility for me. I need it to actually happen. I need I need my needs to be met in an in an immediate way and not to be given, you know, uh, a a promise or or a symbol of of my of meeting my needs instead. This is like Sterner. This is um, Sterner is doing a Gallagher bit here. So if if liberal liberalism is the watermelon, Sterner is coming and, and smashing the fuck out of that liberalism watermelon. <laughs> We're gonna smash some fruit. Yeah. <laughs> Which I enjoy, and I think it's very it's satisfying. There's a jouissance in reading this critique of liberalism because, like you said earlier, Elliot. Like this, this is a problem we're still dealing with, you know, two, 200 years later, over 200 Liber- years later. Yeah. Liberalism fetishizes the slow pace of itself. Um, so it's, so this is like an, this is an algorithm to, to, to cut through the, the bullshit of the space of like the freedom to uh, choose what uh, your higher education route versus like, versus like, versus like equal class access now. Right. Right. Uh, the freedom to like, it's, it's, there's, it's just, it shortens it. And I think, you know, the power, the powers that be, uh, that be <laughs> the, the powers, which ex- the powers with which exist would be, you know, they're, they, it, it jolts them to short, to shorten the, to, to shorten the, the meandering pace of liberalism. I think, I think uh, throws the ruling class off. But I don't. Th- I don't think that's necessary. That doesn't mean be in mental unity with the ruling class, and uh, and accept the meandering pace of liberalism, freedom to this like ne- this now, period. Free like, it, that's where the spook is important because these sorts of meandering methods of of uh, making making these problems go away are are very pervasive and they're very effective, right? You put some put some space, make it a little less efficient. To, for people to get what they need and put in a little mind trick or whatever and, and it'll work but you know yeah, yeah immediate I mean, immediatism like, anarchy you know that that yeah. i like that immediatism site i like i like uh, i like the immediatism site they have great great stuff on there have you guys checked that out i no, i hadn't wait, wait, we should I'm, we should I'm i think it's right uh now. what is it yeah immediatism.com um lots of good um uh, they they do audio readings of anarchist texts but that's the idea you know it goes with that I, anarchist idea of immediatism why immediatism uh because liberalism is a meandering pace that wants you to yeah. basically forget about what you were doing right it wants to track you in, <laughs> it wants to track right? you in procedure and yeah, all the bullshit instead of like direct action right. which gets the goods yeah. of course oh yeah this website rules they got a bunch of stuff on desert in here that's one of my favorite written works of all time egoism green insurrectionary magic and nihilism are their their categories yeah, that that's cool. pretty cool nice. i don't like magic I'm, I'm not big into like all the weird spiritual shit dog. that leaks into politics <laughs> and philosophy but uh the rest of this looks pretty dope i mean yeah on that note i think like i don't know i've been having this idea of like capitalism being 
a a curse in a sense how like i don't know i feel like that just falls so perfectly on on capitalism because what does it do right it's is it benefiting the like it's only benefiting itself it's a self-serving sort of yeah well it's like the the belief in the unstoppability of capitalism is one of the greatest strengths of capital like capitalism isn't unstoppable right but it's very very good at making you believe that it is the natural order of things yeah yeah Um, well all the idealism that goes with capitalism you know and it's and it's pace like like you know i've been repeating the meandering pace of capitalism but is uh, it I, I, capitalism ideal, might meander, yeah yeah but. capitalist idealism but you know what's more immediate than the capital exchange that's immediate right um mm-hmm. so it's while you know while people are while discussing the ideals of what's happening uh you could say the, 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 the truth of the truth of the matter is power and money are, have this immediate quality to them and i wonder if well, um, isn't that like to, to be an why, ego excel maybe would be to to try to to try to copy that immediate quality to some extent uh, in so far as it's useful and so far as we we then troubleshoot it and reflect upon it and then see that it's a useful thing to do to 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 make us more efficient to not be to not be spooked by uh, yeah that's that's the trap of liberalism right is it makes you think that 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 slow meandering like ideological pace of change is necessary to like the well-being of everybody within the system but it really functions as like a mask and a and a distraction from the immediate and pressing kind of material conditions of capitalism which you know are the exact opposite of meandering they're absolutely linear they're crushingly crushing in their linearity yeah i i don't think it's totally totally i don't think the idealism is totally split from capital and real real politic or whatever um Mm -hmm. because you know you look at look at the george floyd you know what's interesting about george floyd talk about um you know what did that moment have it had everything in terms of it was just so um uncalled for it had he like it had a call back to i can't breathe right um so in terms of a freudian molecule in terms of the force of that moment it was just it was not only was it it was just very it was uncalled for in so many different ways that's it had an immediate force to it when people saw it 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 wasn't right. that people figured out that police violence is bad right right yeah it was that something happened and it immediately had an effect so it's like it's almost like Absolutely. discussion is almost waiting for these kinds of large but, force events to happen and direct a little bit see don't don't you think that like that isn't that reaction isn't that the machinic unconscious yeah, you could say that. You could say so. Because that's that's kind of the impression that I get. It's like those. These are I don't know. This is getting like into the material of it, but like, you know, when the pressure builds up, like there is. It's not that people decide I'm gonna loot or I'm gonna smash a window. Really, like they're not making that kind of like liberal enlightenment ideal, rational, like doing the arithmetic in my head. Like I'm a little fucking automaton um but like, <laughs> i mean in, in a way you are an automaton in the sense that like these larger machinic forces are creating like there's intensity those intensities get created and then of course it's going to erupt right once the pressure exceeds a certain threshold and a moment like that crystallizes so many things right because 
not only is there the police, like all of, all the elements that you discussed, Elliot, but I think in the context, uh, you ha- you can't really desegregate it from the like the context of the quarantine, and I think all of that all of that desiring production that's been <laughs> thwarted yeah. or it's been yeah no, definitely. There's nowhere Definitely. for those flows to go. There are no com- consumption, the speed of consumption, et cetera, uh, the speed of exchange has sort of, it's retreated, like yeah. it's receded George a bit. Floyd was definitely a pipe bomb kind of event. Right. You know, it was just like everyone was compressed in their homes, or it would, it would, isolated. No. See, I thought it was Not doing like, anything, yeah. glued to their TVs, which I'm, I'm hearing that, that's secondary repetition. And then all the rest of the geometry also worked. But it's like Fight Club, the movie, whenever he like leaves the pilot light on and then something sparks it, right? Like that's the vision of yeah. the moment that I see. Yeah. It's like all these um, these machining forces are like that shit's building up Yeah. in the social, in the socius, and then... Yes, I agree with you. And then, but the spark has to be of a certain quality. You know, like if you light thermite on fire, you need a magnesium strip. Uh, not that you need to get coins out of call boxes anymore. You read it. Yeah, John read it. Yeah. <laughs> <just cooked>. yeah. <laughs> uh, I'm, I'm just a big thermite yeah. fan in general. But... <laughs> no, you're just a big thermite fan? It's, it's, yeah. funny, I, it's funny that you mentioned that because I, wa- I watched fucking The Rock yesterday, and of course they mentioned thermite plasma because it <laughs> can uh, theoretically um, get rid of VX poison gas. Consumes it since... VX oh, is designed to withstand napalm, which typically burns up most poisons. But I digress. Yeah, but thermite burns so ridiculously hot. But anyway, yeah. the, the point of what you were saying is like, yeah, you can't just have the right pressures. You also have to have the right moment to kind of ignite them, right? Like right. Yeah. If, if your pressures are thermite and you try and you have a political moment that's just like a match being waved near them, it's not going to do anything. You need to have something that has like, the political intensity to it of like, you know, like the George Floyd's murder, like that had, that had yeah. so many political elements convening in it that people were already ready to talk about that our, our minds were already on those tracks in a lot of ways. I mean, I think political and non-political in the sense that, so you have like one, the context of Trump, the un, the unpopular president situation, you have mm-hmm. the quarantine situation, the quarantine. Yeah which I think mostly is, is really like the impacting desire and the production of desire and that the flows of desire not having adequate, like going to Freud, like those pressures would have to, you know what I mean? Like that pressure well, has to be released, right? Yeah, we're, it, we're in the realm of my, like why I wrote the book, which is the ego and the hyperstate, right? It's like the idea that, that George Floyd is a spark at a certain force level, which lights a fuse. Right. Which which is which is exists in the world of there's this idea of you know He's the racial the tension strip, right? it, yeah it but it takes like a certain spark intensity so there was this force that went pow that was a big force but then it lit this whole other thing on fire yeah right right and I it, and it's interesting ultimately it's like a big ideological ideological incendiary device and you can understand it logically like that you know it's yeah. not like it's not simply an analogy. Um, it's you could say this is self-interest in the world. Um, the fact is that people wanted a change, uh, but nothing could make it happen. But this made it happen, right? Because it had these certain qualities to it. It because created it had a force. unique properties. It had yeah. The spark had a, it was it was uniquely 
forceful, you know, and you can examine it and that might be the boring work, right? And there's like, well, why George Floyd? And you could say the geometry of, uh, he put his knee on his neck. He said, I, George Floyd literally said, I can't breathe. Uh, you know, everyone was inside, uh, you know, there's all these things that led to, cause it's not like police just suddenly started killing black people. Yeah, it's been <laughs> let's get, let's get real. Yeah. What made George Floyd unique? What made that spark? What made that right? There's so, but ultimately we are creating like a kind of mad, you know, ma- ma- magical lo- logos. Ultimately it's like a big metaphysical uh, stick of dynamite. Right. Right. And you can understand it. If you want to light, if you want to, if you want to create something related to egos, anarchism, like the machine we're making, it's kind of cool. Like you have me, we have you guys, um, and we're creating something. And it's like this, and that has a sort of property to it. And you put it on the net, and it has this kind of um, enjoyment to it. You you can kind of um, people will get something out of it, right? Mm-hmm. But but if you want to like light the world on fire, <laughs> like you're going to need something really big. And in fact, it wasn't just, not only did you need a blood sacrifice, but it had to be a blood sacrifice of certain properties. Absolutely right. <laughs> Quite frankly, yep. not to, you know, it's fucked up to say it like that, but it's just like, this is, this is how it, this is how it happened. It's just, it's simply just how it, it how it's how it went down. It required death yeah, and it required death with certain properties to it. Maybe that's where, you know, the idea I, I'm always trying to get myself canceled, so let's just keep going until I get canceled. Maybe that's the idea where the ancient blood sacrifices or rituals sort of came from, which is we're getting that, bataille. We're getting into bataille here, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Where it's like things needed to happen, which were at a certain intensity, which had certain properties to it, oh, shit. in order to have a certain effect on oh, society. Shit. Uh-huh. Right. So the idea, the the reason why George Floyd is different in terms of it wasn't planned, right? Um, but of course you could, you know, you could get into some crazy cult shit and then try to like recreate this. Right. That'd be a fun cult. Maybe, maybe what we can each try to make that cult and see how, see how <laughs> cults are no fun though. That's, that's the ulti- ultimately the reason why cults fail is like, there's just no fun. <laughs> I mean, maybe somebody's having fun in a cult. I don't know. But I feel like more when people get super serious about it and there's like a lot of like bickering. Yeah. Look at Scientology. Does that look fun? That's not fun. Well, there's like a, there's an element of it where it's like, <laughs> it's, it's fun for a while, but then like everybody's trying to get their fun out of it in these different kind of uh, abstract ways. And then they come into conflict over that. And then it becomes like the cult is no longer, it becomes a battlefield for enjoyment, right? Yeah. It's like, you know, you're interfering with my cult enjoyment, so I need to shut down your cult enjoyment to get back to mine or whatever. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And if self-interest is the real articulation and de-articulation of, you know, the will being built up, and if you're, like, constantly, like, trying to then referencing the cult as the real thing rather than self-interest, then you're fucked. Right. Yep. Yeah. That's your Freudian critique, right? You, that's, I would say that's my egoist. Critique. That's your egoist. Okay. That's my ego. Ego. The you know the Hegelian egoist critique. Freudian Hegelian. <laughs> I want to read this next passage because it sort of dovetails with the last one I read, and I think articulates this conversation about how Sterner portrays freedom or conceives of freedom free from what? Oh, what is there can, that cannot be shaken off? The yoke of bondage, 
a feudal sovereignty of aristocracy and prince, the rule of the desires and passions, yes, even the rule of one's own will, of self-will, for the most thorough self-denial is nothing but freedom, freedom namely from self-determination, from one's own self, and the urge for freedom as something absolute, worth any price, destroyed by our ownness, it created self-denial. But the freer I become, the more constraint piles up before my eyes, the more powerless I feel. The unfree son of the wilderness feels nothing yet of all the limits that press on the, on the educated being, human being. He seems freer to himself than the latter. To the extent that I gain freedom for myself, I create new limits and tasks for myself. Once again, fucking Hegelian, fucking Lacan again. I love how he sets these same kind of Lacanian, like Lacan said that he always sets a trap and everything he says. And I think, can you see that to here? Like that last sentence, to the extent that I gain freedom for myself, I create new limits and tasks for myself. So yeah. what is that? But that is, what is that? But contradiction, right? Again, yeah. the, well, split like su- the split subject. Freedom is a responsibility, right? Like you have to take care of it. You have to maintain it. And it's like, you know, any, any establishment of freedom is also a, you're, you're essentially establishing boundaries on yourself to maintain that freedom and live within that freedom. Whereas I think Sterner's ownness kind of stands in opposition to that in that you can pick it up, you can pick something up and enjoy it and discard it whenever it stops being of enjoyment to you. And you're no longer bound to that kind of um, the responsibility of, of maintenance of freedom. Taking police care of freedom, right? Yeah. Well, and like in many ways, freedom is you taking police care of yourself, right? Whereas yes, ownness exactly. is you taking regular care of yourself, just, just being invested in, in yourself, in self-interest. I wonder if how much this is like this critique of freedom. I mean, it's got to be going at enlightenment liberalism, right? Like, can we, is, yeah. it's, it's, it's safe to make that assumption. This is a great one sentence critique of freedom yeah. as an idea to the extent that I gain freedom for myself. I create new limits and tasks for myself. That's so simple. And so to the point, yeah. I also like the other part too, but the freer I free, become, yeah. the more constraint piles up before my eyes, the more power. So the more freedom you have, the more powerless you feel. Yeah. How does, uh, I feel this is also like master slave dialectic too. Or am I wrong? Uh, ideally, you want the worker to be super free, so he has super a lot of limits and tasks for themselves, right? I mean, what's yeah. fuck? Like, if you're the capitalist, modern capitalism, what is yeah. more like <laughs> exemplifies that process? Also, you know, push it to the limit culture, hustle culture. Yeah, you know, to the extent it's true, because people are free in that they're free from society in terms of they're alienated from society, as you know, you could say a racial underclass and also an economic underclass in the U.S. I don't think I don't think people understand why you know identity politics so much in the UK as much, but you know in the US certainly racial and economic unity between uh, classes just from the history of you know segregation. Um, so they're they're already free. So, so they're already freed from society in terms of people who are are oppressed by the society will not identify with the society in in ways that people people who have not been historically oppressed by that society will identify. So great, free from that society, but free. And so now you have to create, you know, spontaneously what, what happens is new, new limits and tasks are uh, developed. And you'll see this a lot in um, working class communities 
of all races and nationalities, which is hyper-traditionalist ideology with lots of limits, lots of ethics, right? Um, that's the Freudian, that's the Freudian totem and taboo idea as well, which is, you know, ultimately you go away from, you, you could say whatever the metropolis or people that identify immediately with the metropolis and you don't find freedom, right? Necessarily you find very severe um, detailed tasks and, and taboos, things that you must do and things mm -hmm. that you must not do. Right. So the working class is almost doomed to a certain freedom from society limits and tasks to a certain extent, not doomed though. That's, that's why we read ego books. <laughs> right. Well, we're like, we're, we're trained to reproduce that yeah. for ourselves, right? Like if you, yeah. if you live in the city, you probably already have lots of tasks and limitations placed before you in a material sense. But if you go out from urban centers and stuff, this is probably why like you're very fervent, fervent religious uh, movements are usually rooted in some kind of rural population is because once you're out there and you have all of this freedom and, and lack of limit and lack of time, what's reassuring to your kind of social conditioning is to find another method to regenerate restrictions and regenerate rules for yourself to kind of operate inside. Damn. And how Lacanian is fucking that. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, man, Cooper's ready to say something. I was like, what are you going to say? What are you going to say, man? And that was it. That's I mean, you want your, and that's what Lacanian you, as fuck. <laughs> yes. <laughs> you want a new master. I, this was making me think maybe this is like too on the nose. Maybe I'm being too literal. But I was thinking like in the sense of new tasks. What new tasks do I have? I have like I produce content for social – you know, on Twitter. I post on Twitter. I produce content. You may, you're making this happen. Yeah, making this happen, right? Yeah. I like I'm doing all of these things. I'm producing. Well, that's like the the thing with me is like I I convinced myself for so long that like I wanted to get into the arts and I wanted to get into media and online stuff as a way to kind of get myself outside of the the crushing day to day kind of slog of like go to work, go home, do nothing meaningful. God. Yeah, and it's like that's, regardless that's of what enjoyment well yeah but then regardless of what enjoyment i get out of podcasting producing music you know whatever other stuff it also it adds layers of stress and it adds layers of convoluted kind of like limitations and, and guidelines to my life which in form are identical to the you, kinds of limitations that i was trying to escape from right. in the first place. yeah yeah that's that's actually a really good point that that's a good contradiction too right is like you're now it's like you're free to <laughs> you're free to impose new rules on yourself ah. <laughs> right well and that's the other people, i mean we already oh, said freedoms that, that you've gained for yourself might yeah. be limits for yourself is the trick yeah is the, is right. the terror absolutely well that's the other thing like my you know my dad will ask me he'll be like so when you do this podcast thing, you're like, you're really working for yourself, huh? That's awesome. You know, like, <laughs> nobody better to work for than yourself. And I have to tell him, I'm like, dad, I nice. really have to conceptually avoid thinking about it as work or I'm just going to like immediately yeah. resent it and no longer want to do it anymore. Incidentally, I think this podcast is, it's fucking amazing. I'm experiencing massive amounts of jouissance. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm positively vibrating and i'm nice. being i'm being sincere too <laughs> I'm like this is fucking awesome 
actually. Yeah, that's so awesome. Far. Yeah, like, me too. This guys are fucking right. killing it. This uh, this next quote from page 177, I think, might, like, is this in the same direction or, like, kind of moving forward, this idea we've been on? Um, For whose sake do you trouble yourself over gods and other commandments? Surely you don't think that this is done merely as a favor to God. No, again, you do it for your own sake. So here again, you are the main thing, and everyone must tell himself, I am everything, and I do everything, and I do everything for my own sake. So I do the podcast for my own sake. I shitpost for my own sake. <laughs> well, and like even in my reverence to God, like is my reverence to God a for God's sake? No, it's right. for my own sake to be admitted into the kingdom of heaven or whatever. So there's no, yeah. there's no real... Uh, self-abnegation there at all it's just self-affirmation within external externally imposed limits but this, is, this is the yeah this is the logical fact that i think no egoist has trouble with nobody who's interested in this theory has trouble with but is very societally difficult to articulate the significance of right in ter- and also the significance of hypocrisy right yep when one sort of abdicates the for my own sakeness you could say yeah the uh, what is it oh, egoists that do not wish to be egoists i really enjoyed that though too john that like notion of like this whole kind of pious self abnegating the sort of self flagellation that christianity kind of imposes mm-hmm. on you is in the end well, you're it's like, ser- it's, you're it's, serving your like it's it's self serving which is the funniest fucking part yep. <laughs> I, I just love that well, that's, that's such a great. That's critique. the thing. Like you, you have to think like, oh, a hyper ascetic monk whose only you know possessions in the world are a spoon and a bowl. Like he must not be in it for himself. He must have finally transcended right. his his material instincts and and needs and stuff. And it's like no, he's just had them reoriented either through his own action or influence from the outside world to think that having only the possessions of a spoon and a bowl is the most righteous and is the most true or profound way to live and then derives enjoyment from the satisfaction of adhering to that. There is no, there is no outside of self-interest. There is no, no acting without a thought for yourself, even in the most radical act of self-abnegation, even in the act of like, you know, committing suicide, for instance, it, it's an escape from other pressures. It's a, it's, it's a, it's a positive statement of like, this is, my my will this is what i need right now and there is no there is no getting outside of that i don't think mm. what movie is it that were the was it fucking like ace ventura or something where he's like i'm more one than anyone i don't know i just had that <laughs> yeah thought. but that's but that yeah it's a very sterner statement <laughs> exactly more in touch with the i-ness yeah in terms of if everything is for my own sake what is the people will be like well that's tautological what's the point um, I think there is a when when you are spooked into thinking that you are pure for other, right? There there can be there can be consequences of that, and also knowing yourself as the I, as the as the as the singular point of departure rather than the signifier, is also your your geometry will just line up better. Your your conception of engagement right. will will line up better. Well, that's the thing. People, uh, people want to tell you. It'll like, be more hey, that's multiple. Logical, so be more it doesn't. Multiple. Because because if you're yeah. if you are simply your systemic self and a multiplicity of systemic cells, it misses the eye. Okay, yeah, yeah. 
Yeah, but pe people will also want to tell you, they'll be like, oh, you know, you're making a tautological observation, and so that doesn't have any value to, like, the social or political theory going forward or whatever. And it's like, well, you know, is, is one plus one equals two not tautological? Like, two <laughs> ones is two ones, right? Like, there's no, but it has implications. You need to understand yeah. that to be able to do math, to be able to affect the world around you with mathematical ideas. So I think, like, people looking at, like, kind of these, these claims of Sterner and saying, like, oh, those are unremarkable. Oh, those are – I think it's that very attitude that makes them remarkable. It's like, no, these are cr critically underexamined parts of any philosophical system. So, John, my question to you would be, um, as a favor, what do us non-hypocritical egoists who know things are done for our own sake – do about people who claim things are because it's for God and it, and it's totally self, there is no self uh, interest involved whatsoever, or the self interest signifier in a Lacanian sense is simply foreclosed. How do, how do, how do we then thus relate to such hypocrites, AKA nearly the entire world? <laughs> I mean, it, it really, it depends on what you want out of them, right? Like I think you have to look into yourself and you have to figure out what you want out of people mm -hmm. who don't see things the same way as you. And then you have to go and interact with them in a way that benefits you the most. And I don't, you know, it'd be hard to say what that is because <laughs> like you said, like that, that idea of like, Oh, I'm doing this for God or for the nation or for my people or whatever is like so pervasive. It's baked into cultures across the entire globe. Um, I'd, I'd be hard-pressed to tell you what the most productive way to interact with that is. I can tell you how I do it, which is um, sarcasm, mostly, and uh, <laughs> just uh, ignoring people whose opinions I don't care about. But uh, I'm, sure there's a, I'm sure there's a better way to handle it. You have to do therapy. You have to do what Elliot does. How, how does one yeah, get well, – say, I mean, you, how, say you want yeah, – I mean, How say, do we get the whole want... world into therapy? That's the question. Well, you don't need the whole – but how do you get one person – who say say they foreclose self interest entirely? What is what is your relation? Mm -hmm. You know, just hypothetically speaking, what is what is what does one do about I mean, I don't his know. difference? My dad you know, is this, like a Christian um, fundamentalist, yeah. And I can't like I can sometimes get him to see kind of bullshit, but he like he just want what he wants to do is it's all Oedipal. He wants to like abdicate his responsibility and have obey the father. Because he can't right. handle his own radical, like he refuses to be, to acknowledge his eye, must externalize the eye onto I mean, the if, father. Yeah, if, mm. if you want to give people a good the idea of like to know that kind the eye of getting is at, yeah. I mean, if you want to give people an idea of what we're kind of getting at here without scaring them away with like <laughs> two hundred year old authors and like weird German words like Eigentum, uh, there's actually an episode of Friends where Phoebe and Joey try and compete with each other to see who can perform the most selfless task. And they ultimately come to the realization that there is no such thing as a selfless task. Mm. Even the most selfless task is still performed as a method of enjoyment. And I watched that, that episode of that TV show when I was like in my teen years. And I've thought about it my, like since I saw it, I've, it's always been on my mind. And yeah. then to to have these things articulated in like 200 year old philosophical books. And then for me to be thinking about this one, like probably one off episode of friends um, 
feels a little funny, but I've I've shown it to people and they've been like, well, yeah, yeah you know, it yeah, makes a good point, you know, because <laughs> uh, I, I think they they really do cap off all of the things. It's like you can give your shirt or your last bit of food to a person on the street who you think needs it more than you, but like you're you're still serving your impulse to be a good yeah. person. Well, and the implication, so that it's so rather than okay, yeah, selfless acts are for your self-interest. Okay, cool. Full stop. Now I'll forget about it. Who cares? Uh, I think right. the thing to realize is ergo, I, the I then becomes morphed into, into a multitude of forms, right? So, so once that's forgotten, the person says, oh, I see the Friends episode and okay, cool. I, yeah, sure. Um, the end. Uh, the thing to take from that is that means the I will then be will then appear in various places and just know that the I will appear as logics. It will appear as nations. It will appear as a million different things. So it, it will, you'll, once it's, once the I is foreclosed, uh, it becomes the Hydra or you could say not just the Hydra because it's also <laughs> to some extent the world, right? Um, but know that mm -hmm. ultimately it's the I with the dynamics of the I. Yeah. The world well, like is, the world collapses the I... back into the, the subject. Is the same. Well, it's like if you foreclose on the eye, if you stop looking at it and examining it, you're basically just giving it the opportunity to sneak up on you and catch you unawares at any moment. And then you're not going to have the conceptual tools to be like, this is just one of my desires. Like, what's the best way to manage or achieve or whatever this desire? It's just going to be this scary thing cropping up in your thoughts that you're trying not to look at and trying not to look at, but you're still affected by it. You're still, it's still at the foundation of your reasoning, even if you, you know, actively put it out of your mind. And I think people who put desire and, and uh, self-interest out of their mind, it, it makes them incredibly easy to manipulate. Um, and then when you have these large order uh, forms of social control, that are trying to get a grasp on a population, those people are some of the first people that it picks up and end up becoming some of its like most ardent believers and, and followers on faith. Well, they don't realize the eye has been recaptured from them and the people think the eye is they, right? The eye becomes they. And then what the they wants, they follow. Um, you know? So if I think I am you and then you have desires in the world and I say, okay, I have desires in the world. What are my desires, John? Oh, they're to give you $20? Here you go. Not like that. But I mean, <laughs> the, the process is like that, right? Yep. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. The very roots of evil, of negativity and singularity, including the ultimate form of singularity, which is outcast. Violence without object. This is a typical violence of information. It's violent because what happens there is a murder of the real, the vanishing point of reality. Let's not have a misunderstanding here. I mean, the following. With 
nothing left but recycled, whitewashed, lobotomized people, as in uh, block work or range. <laughs> 